Let me ask you a quick question. Are you constantly confused about what to eat for PCOS? Does the thought of putting meals together in a balanced way bring up anxiety and self-doubt? Not to mention you're feeling exhausted as it is and the idea of cooking just makes you want to take a nap. Do you wish someone just showed you what to do and kept it easy, quick, and actually delicious? Well, if you said yes to any of these, I just opened up the doors to a new workshop I'm hosting in just a few days. It's called Master Your Meals. This is a five-day live workshop where I'll show you exactly how to create easy-to-follow meal plans for PCOS without getting bored with your food, without experiencing flavor fatigue, or any of those things. In this workshop, you'll get my top tips for easy meal planning. These things work even if you lead a super busy lifestyle. In fact, I created this workshop to fit the needs of busy women with PCOS. You'll also get tons of meal ideas and product suggestions, as well as the opportunity to have me review your plan and provide feedback on how to make it PCOS proof. When you join me for this limited time event, you'll learn how to create a food plan in less than three minutes per day. Yes, you heard that right. We're going to talk about how to add carbs to your meals with confidence and snack in a strategic way that balances hormones like insulin and cortisol. This workshop is designed to show you exactly what to eat every single day in order to have more energy, experience less cravings, manage weight easily, and regulate your cycle. During our time together, you'll have access to me on a daily basis. I'm going to be doing daily live lessons inside our group, and they're going to be packed with helpful tips, as well as dietitian approved recipes, snack lists, and even my favorite shortcuts and hacks to save you major time in the kitchen. And as I said before, this workshop is geared toward busy women who want to prioritize their health without complicated plans or hours of food prep. Now, if this is you, I really hope you join us because it's going to be great. All you have to do is go to daphnachazen.com slash master meals, daphnachazen.com slash master meals. That's one word. This workshop is starting very soon. It's a really special opportunity to jumpstart your healthy habits right now, learn the principles behind my proven method, see immediate results that keep you motivated and stop feeling stressed and confused about how to eat in order to finally treat your PCOS symptoms. So again, check out the details and save your spot at daphnachazen.com forward slash master meals. Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Hey there, and welcome back. We are diving into a pretty big topic today on the show, and that is PCOS weight loss, as you probably saw from the title of the episode. I'm going to show you exactly how I teach my clients how to lose weight with PCOS and pursue health at the same time without restriction, without dieting, and we're going to keep it really, really simple. There is a lot of controversy in the world of PCOS around the topic of weight loss, so before we dive in into how to make it simple and all the things that I want to share with you today, I want to share with you how I view PCOS weight loss and what my philosophy is when it comes to PCOS and weight management. So I'm going to start by saying that I help women with weight loss 
So if you come to me with the goal of losing weight, among other things, I can and will help you get there. This is not something that I decline or something that I reject. There are some dietitians in the space of PCOS who don't believe in pursuing weight loss at all. And when I say pursuing weight loss, it sounds kind of aggressive. But what I'm talking about is wanting to lose weight, wanting to manage your weight. And especially what women come to me with is wanting to stop weight gain. A lot of women experience uncontrollable weight gain, and that is definitely something that can impact their health. And so I am not one of those dietitians who believes that you should not be pursuing weight loss at all and that all weight loss equals dieting. That is not my approach. I do find that when weight loss is done in a non-diet way, while you're focusing on hormone balance and healthy, sustainable eating habits, which is a thing and it can be done, weight loss can actually be a very positive thing. So I believe this firmly and I definitely don't think anyone should feel like they're a part of diet culture or they're superficial in any sort of way if their goals include weight loss. And there is this narrative out there, and I think it's very narrow-minded and actually slightly ridiculous because I've proven, and I have many, many clients over the years who've come to me to pursue weight loss with PCOS in a healthy way that is not hyper-focused on how you look or what size you wear, but actually seeing weight loss as a vehicle for better health. As part of the process of improving your hormones, seeing less symptoms, treating your issues with PCOS, whether they be infertility, cravings, fatigue, joint pain, inflammation, all of these things can be achieved and weight loss can play a part in that. It's not the end all be all of treating PCOS symptoms and that's absolutely not how I view it, but I do think that it can help and it can be a positive experience. So many people have trauma from years of dieting and negative experiences with trying to lose weight. And I get that, but I'm here to tell you that weight loss with PCOS can actually feel positive. It can be easy. It can be simple and it could be something that you enjoy doing and seeing your body feeling better, eating in a way that actually excites you. These are all things that can be part of your life. So it doesn't have to be a dreadful thing or a punitive process where you're constantly punishing your body in order to lose weight. That's definitely diet culture. That's definitely damaging and toxic. That's not what we're talking about here today. And that's not what I teach my clients to do. And I am going to add that while it's true that you can improve your health independently of weight loss, meaning you can see less symptoms and better blood work results and less disease risk without losing weight. And of course, weight loss won't cure your PCOS, right? It's a chronic lifelong condition. I do have many clients who completely transformed their health. And a big part of that was attributed to weight loss. So we can't really ignore the fact that carrying excess weight and if weight is actively going up every single week, it can pose some health challenges. And for many people, it can even reduce their quality of life. And so if you want to manage weight with the goal of having less joint pain, more regular ovulation, lower blood sugar levels, or just be able to be more active and energetic, why not do it? What is wrong with that? I'm all about it. I help people do it all the time. 
and I see no issue with it. Again, if someone's coming to me and they want to lose weight just so they can look a certain way or fit in certain clothes, I'm not I'm not really into that, right? That's not enough of a goal. And quite honestly, if someone like that comes to me, I already know they're not going to be successful because once they do fit into those jeans or whatever it may be, they're going to lose their desire and motivation to continue going. And that's not really aligned with my philosophy. That kind of thinking around weight loss would lend itself well to dieting, right? Because it's focused on a specific goal. It's focused on something that's not really a big why, and it's not necessarily going to improve your health or quality of life to fit into XYZ size or be a certain, you know, body shape or weight. So this is really an important distinction, and I wanted to mention it. You can pursue weight loss from the perspective of health. You can reject dieting and still want to lose weight. You can do all of these things and it can be a fun, good, positive process. Now, even though the approach that I take is not rooted in rules or calorie restriction or restricting foods, it definitely is not intuitive eating either, where there are almost no guidelines at all. So I don't really subscribe to this way of teaching women how to get healthier. I think there are good things about intuitive eating. There are many components of it that I do like, listening to your body, including all foods, honoring your hunger and satiety cues. All of these things I think are wonderful and important, but I think that when someone is dealing with a chronic condition that is so profoundly impacted by food, we do need to have some sort of a method or plan that is followed in order to really see success and treat the symptoms effectively. So all of this to say is that my approach to weight loss is somewhere in the middle where I certainly don't promote extreme eating behaviors or dieting, but I also don't think saying, well, eat anything you want whenever you want, or, you know, don't worry about it. Or, you know, you don't have to consider how certain foods impact your body. All foods are good. I'm not necessarily there either. And in this episode, I wanted to talk about how I approach weight loss for PCOS. What's the smart and effective and proven way to do it while keeping it simple, while not driving yourself crazy with too many things to keep up and what it actually takes to be successful in managing your weight long term. And it should go without saying that if this topic is triggering for you in any sort of way, I'd suggest you pause here and come back for the next episode or listen to a past episode that you have not checked out yet. Today's episode is probably not for you if the topic of weight loss is very triggering. But if you're someone who has tried many diets before, your weight keeps getting higher and higher, you're seeing negative impact of that on your health and you're looking for a different approach, this episode is for you. Let's get to it. Okay, so you probably don't need me to tell you that losing weight with PCOS is extremely frustrating. It could feel very difficult. Oftentimes, women feel like they gain weight without changing anything in terms of what they eat. And there could be periods of uncontrollable weight gain that seem to come out of nowhere. Very rapid, very high weight gain. And again, nothing has changed as far as what you do or what you eat. And you're getting all the blank stares from doctors and other people around you who definitely don't get it and maybe even think that you're making things up. So definitely a lot of gaslighting around PCOS weight gain. And that's something that's super frustrating. Now, oftentimes the advice that we hear around weight loss is calorie restriction or counting macros or fitting yourself into some sort of an equation around numbers. 
And to me, that's all wrong because weight gain with PCOS is really not about eating too much or not fitting into your macros. It's really more about hormones. It's all about hormones, really. And that is, by the way, the reason that diets are never going to be effective for people with PCOS because all diets do the same thing. They all focus on calorie restriction in some sort of way. So whether that's Weight Watchers and the point system, the point system is essentially a calorie restriction system, right? If it's things like South Beach diet or keto or macros or Whole30, there is an element of cutting foods out, reducing your calorie intake, portion controlling, and all of these things are okay for some people. And maybe some people have lost weight on those plans. But for someone with PCOS, that's not going to work. And if you've tried a calorie restricted diet, maybe you started at 1600 and went to 14 and 1200 and 1000. And sometimes I see women who even have been on 800 calorie diets like the HCG diet. You already know that A, that's not sustainable, but also it's not going to work because it doesn't do anything to address your hormones. And so if you've been on a 1200 calorie diet and didn't lose weight or maybe even gained weight, what you need to understand is that you have other factors that are coming into play here, specifically things like insulin resistance and inflammation that are driving your body to want to put weight on. And so it doesn't matter how many calories you're going to eat. If your body is in fat storage mode, as is the case with insulin resistance, and I'll explain all of it in a second, your calorie intake could be as low as you want. It could be as high as you want. You're still going to gain weight, right? Whether that's 1800 calories or a thousand calories, your body is programmed to hold on to weight. And so we have to address the hormonal factors with PCOS and understand that PCOS weight gain is really more of a symptom of what's going on with your hormones as opposed to what you're actually eating right now. Okay, so before we go into talking about how to simplify weight loss for PCOS, I want to talk about five factors that are contributing to weight gain. Some of them I already touched on, but I want to dive a little bit deeper so that you can really understand what's going on in your body. Being body literate is very important. You need to understand your hormones. You need to understand your condition. This is a chronic condition. You're going to have to deal with it for the rest of your life, unfortunately. And I want you to do it in the most educated and empowered way possible. And for that, we need to understand hormones. We need to understand what's coming into play here, especially if you're someone who wants to manage weight a little bit more easily. Okay, so I touched on high insulin levels. As you may know, 70 to 90% of women with PCOS do struggle with insulin resistance. Now, I've spoken about insulin resistance plenty in the past, so I don't want to go too much into it. And there's a really good chance that you already know a lot about it, especially if you're following along here on the podcast with me. But insulin resistance essentially means two things. You have too much insulin being secreted from the pancreas and your cells are not responding well to that insulin. And as a result, no energy is getting into your cells because your sugar stays in the bloodstream and your body thinks it's starving, essentially. So when someone has high levels of insulin, your body's gonna be in this fat storage mode because it believes that there's an emergency, that you're starving because no energy is getting into the cells. So as far as your cells know, you're not eating. 
And what your body's going to do is it's first of all going to trigger you to eat more. So you feel hungrier, you have more cravings for carbs and sugar, but also anything that you eat is going to be stored as fat. Fat is the body's storage currency, meaning when your body wants to preserve life, which is your body's main goal in general, it's going to hold on to weight in the form of fat. So fat is kind of like the long-term storage in your body. And so once you deposit fat, it's really hard for your body to burn it off because it's kind of like long-term storage. It's all the way in the back of the shed. It's not coming out. And so when you have a lot of insulin in the system, you're more likely to gain fat, you're more likely to be hungry, and you're going to have intense sugar cravings. All of these things obviously contribute to weight gain over time. Now, the fun doesn't stop here. Unfortunately, there's kind of a triple whammy with insulin because over time, high insulin levels are going to lead to high androgen levels. When you have a lot of insulin in the system, your insulin is going to start acting on your ovaries to release more and more androgens, specifically testosterone. And so this is why women with insulin resistance often don't get their period because they're not ovulating because your ovaries are not releasing estrogen, they're releasing androgens, they're releasing testosterone instead. And so over time, too much testosterone can lead to inflammation. So there's this compound effect of high insulin levels leading to high androgens, leading to high inflammation. And of course, with inflammation, which is a form of stress in your body where your immune system is active and your body's constantly trying to repair itself, we're going to see generally higher cortisol levels. Cortisol is a stress hormone that your body secretes when there's a lot of inflammation. And of course, if you have a lot of stress and inflammation in your body, like I said before, your body's going to try to preserve life. And the way that it knows to do this is by depositing fat in the abdomen. So when we put fat into the abdominal section, into our midsection, it really means that your body is protecting important organs like your liver and spleen and your digestive system. And so when women deposit a lot of fat around the abdomen, it can oftentimes be due to high cortisol levels, high inflammation. And that's where we see apple-shaped bodies where the majority of weight is carried in the midsection. And that is, of course, associated not just with obesity, but also with the metabolic syndrome, with having hypertension and high risk for diabetes and heart disease. And so carrying weight in the midsection is oftentimes the result of this cascade effect of high insulin leading to high androgens leading to high inflammation, and then a lot of fat deposition in your tummy area. Now, there are a couple of other hormones involved here. I'm going to go through them quickly because I actually did a whole podcast episode about this called Why Am I Hungry? or something along those lines. It was a few episodes back where I talked about the specific hormones that are triggering hunger and what to do about it. So these two hormones, which are, of course, appetite hormones, are ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin is a hormone that signals to your brain that you're hungry, and leptin does the opposite. It signals that you're full. With women with PCOS, we often see that there's too much ghrelin and there's leptin resistance, kind of similar to insulin resistance, where your body's not responding to leptin properly. So what this means in really simple terms is that you're constantly hungry, and even when you eat, your brain doesn't receive the message that you're full. And this is definitely contributing to weight gain because, again, if you're constantly trying to keep up with your appetite and meals are not satisfying for you and you need to eat frequently throughout the day, 
over time, that's going to lead to weight gain. And those hormones being disrupted and not regulated is certainly not helping. And to top off these reasons why weight gain with PCOS can occur so easily is the fact that women with PCOS are seen to have lower metabolic rates, meaning you're burning less calories at rest than most other people, your age, your height and weight, and your gender. And so there is no doubt that having a slower metabolism is contributing to weight gain. It means that your body is not putting out as much energy as we would expect it to. And therefore, when you eat, those calories, like I said before, are accumulating a lot more easily. Okay, so that was a brief overview of what actually causes PCOS weight gain, why it's so much easier for women with PCOS to put weight on and I think it's important to understand this because many women blame themselves or think that they don't have enough willpower or that they're eating the wrong things. And there are so much stronger factors behind the scenes working against you in this way. But don't worry, we're moving into the positive side of things where I tell you exactly how to address it and how to make it simple and not lose your sanity in the process of losing weight with PCOS. And of course, doing it from the perspective of health and wanting to feel better. And so we got the education about hormones and what's going on in your body down. Let's now move into talking about what you can do about it. So the first and best thing that you can do and focus your energy and attention on is insulin resistance, reducing it as much as possible. And the good news is that food is going to play a major part in that. So you can absolutely reverse your insulin resistance through food. You don't have to rely on a medication if you don't want to. The combination of supplements can come in a little bit later, but you have to hone in on what's on your plate. What are the foods that you're putting into your body every single day? And it's really important to understand how to build a balanced plate in order to reverse PCOS. Now, I'm going to tell you that prepping your own food and having control over what goes into your meals is going to be paramount here. And for this reason, I hope that you join me for the Master Your Meals workshop that I'm having in just a couple of days, because I think that it's going to help you understand and build the confidence around putting meals together. But let's talk about the components that actually help reduce insulin resistance. The first one is, of course, prioritizing protein and produce. This is something that I talk about over and over again. If each one of your meals contains mostly protein and produce, and you're really diligent about eating the right amounts of these foods, you're going to be well on your way to reducing insulin resistance. Now, with that, we wanna make sure that we're not cutting out carbs completely. We're eating based on your carb tolerance, and that is something that helps you identify what is the exact amount of carbohydrates that you can have in each one of your meals so that you can continue to enjoy the foods that you love without worsening any of your symptoms. You can absolutely include bread and pasta and fruit every single day in every single meal, maybe not all of them together, but all of these foods can fit into your day in a really balanced way and you don't have to feel deprived. You can still manage your weight successfully while adding these favorite foods. And I haven't met anyone who said, well, I don't like pasta or I don't like bread. I actually see more and more women tell me, I can't believe I get to eat this and lose weight at the same time. I have many, many clients who've restricted bread, have not brought it into their home for years, literally years. And now 
they feel confident. They eat bread and they know that it's good for their body. It's fiber rich. It provides energy and it keeps them feeling normal. You want to feel normal. It sounds so rudimentary. It sounds so basic, but I want you to really think about the plans that you've done before and how they likely made you feel like the odd one out where everybody else is eating a certain way, or you go to a party or you're at work with your coworkers and they're eating things that you would never think to eat because someone said they're bad, like pasta or pizza or bread. All of these things can fit when you know your carb tolerance and you're prioritizing the right types and amounts of carbohydrates and you're pairing them with the right foods. So there's a lot that goes into it. I'm going to be breaking it all down inside the workshop. So again, hopefully you'll see you there, but it is really important to understand that what goes on your plate and the way that you prepare your food and the way that you build your meals, ratios, types of foods, amounts, is really, really important. Now, as a side note, not only is produce, protein, and fiber paramount for reversing insulin resistance, they're also going to help you feel fuller, okay? So as you're modifying your habits, you don't want to feel hungry, especially because so many women already have a hunger level that's higher than normal or higher than most other people. And so we want to be really diligent about managing your appetite. And fiber and protein are really key factors in that because fiber gets you full protein keeps you full. So I'm going to say that again, and I want you to remember this. Fiber gets you full. Protein keeps you full. When you eat fiber, you end up feeling fuller at the end of your meal. And when you incorporate protein into that meal, you stay full. So it's not a temporary feeling of satiety. You're not satisfied for just about 30 or 40 minutes. You're actually satisfied for hours if you combine the fiber and the protein together. So it's not only helpful for reducing a blood sugar spike, which is how it's helping with insulin, right? So if I don't get a blood sugar spike after my meal because I included protein and I included fiber, I'm not going to get an insulin spike. But also, I'm going to stay fuller for longer, so there's going to be less of a need to snack and graze. Now, remember, reducing the insulin resistance, reducing your body's demand for insulin is going to be directly linked to how easy it is for you to lose weight because it's hard to lose weight with PCOS, like I just explained, because of those higher insulin levels. So the connection here is that when you lower your insulin levels, your body is going to snap out of that fat storage mode and it's going to be easier for you to shed fat and lose pounds. And so reducing the insulin surge after your meals is very important. There are a few supportive habits that you can include in order to get there. So we just talked about what to eat and how to put your plate together. Again, if you want to dive really deeply into that, come into my workshop, Master Your Meals. We're going to be focusing specifically on meals that lower insulin resistance. But around that, you can add very supportive habits in order to, again, lessen the amount of insulin that your pancreas releases throughout the whole day and after meals specifically. So what are some of those supportive habits? It can be things like starting to eat breakfast within 90 minutes of waking up, making sure that you're moving your body for 15 minutes after you eat lunch and dinner. This can absolutely change the amount of insulin that's released in your body. Keeping your meal timing consistent and not skipping meals. We know that when people skip meals, their body tends to release a lot more insulin later in the day when they do finally eat. And that's, of course, something that is really hard for your body to handle. If there's a big surge of insulin, most of that insulin is going to stay in the system and it's going to cause your body to store more fat. 
So really honing in on your food and eating habits, so not just what you put on your plate, but how you behave throughout the day. Are you skipping meals? Are you grazing constantly? Do you move your body? Are you consistent with eating breakfast most days of the week? These are all habits that are really important for insulin resistance. Now, we're not going to talk so much about other things that help with insulin resistance, meaning non-food related things or non-carbohydrate related things. I did a whole episode on that and it's maybe five or six episodes back where I talked about effective ways to lower insulin resistance that have nothing to do with carbohydrates. And I want you to go back and listen to this episode, especially if you're someone who's dealing with insulin resistance, if your blood sugar is already showing signs of getting higher and you're constantly gaining weight, you're going to benefit tremendously from focusing on reducing insulin resistance and taking that root cause approach. Now, once you got those basics down with what you put on your plate, how you time your meals, having breakfast, moving your body, that's when I would consider adding a supplement. And there are great supplements that help with insulin resistance. My three favorites are magnesium, berberine, and inositol. And I did a whole episode on inositol, so definitely go check that out if you are curious about whether or not it's helpful and a good fit for you. But those are the three that I usually recommend. You always want to consult a provider before starting, so please don't use this as a blanket recommendation to take all three of these. You want someone to look at what you're doing and recommend the best supplements for your situation. But these three are known to be as effective if not more so than metformin. And that's pretty powerful, specifically inositol and berberine. Magnesium helps more with blood sugar control as opposed to insulin. And so these are definitely worth looking into. But remember, supplements are meant to supplement. So we never want to add a supplement if you haven't dialed in the food part yet. That's just kind of like the cherry on top. It's something that you add at the end to just optimize what you're doing. Okay, the next strategy I want to talk about is volumetrics. This is where you get to control your appetite a lot more easily. And let me tell you, if you can use volumetrics, which I'll explain in a second, in order to stay ahead of your appetite and reduce hunger, you can majorly reduce your susceptibility to overeating and binging and just kind of feeling out of control around food. Many, many times I see women who just go hungry throughout the day and you can only do that for so long, right? That's not a healthy thing to do. That's definitely not something that I would recommend. And it actually means that your body is not getting enough of what it needs. And if you're going hungry at some point, probably within days, you're going to binge and you're going to feel like you're in this fuck it eating mode where you're eating anything in sight and it's really a free for all. You want to stay in control of your appetite. You want to anticipate your hunger levels and manage them actively throughout the day and not let it build up and end up in a binge. And volumetrics is something that can really help with that. Okay, so what does volumetrics mean? It means that you're eating bigger portions, bigger amounts of foods without exceeding your needs. You're staying within your body's needs, but you get to eat a little bit more. Now, it's important to know that the body perceives fullness based on the amount of food that we eat, plus, of course, like I mentioned before, the protein and fiber content of that meal. So if we maximize the volume, we can create more fullness for ourselves. And so to do this, we want to focus on foods that have a high water content, right? So things like salads and cooked vegetables and soups, but also lean proteins, 
things like shrimp cocktail or preservative-free deli meat, adding these things into your day can increase the volume, can increase the amount of food that you eat, but still keep you within your nutritional needs. So an example of this, now I'm not saying that you're going to eat lettuce and deli meat all day long and sustain yourself on that. This comes on top of what you're already eating. Okay, so this is to increase the amount of food that you're eating if you're finding that your meals are not satisfying enough. So say you created a meal plan and you came to the workshop and we created a meal plan for you that you're happy with and includes protein, includes fiber, it includes vegetables, but you're still hungry. This is where volumetrics can come into play and really increase your fullness. So you're bulking up your meals with more veggies. So say if you eat a salad, you're adding more protein to it, or maybe you're adding some cooked veggies on the side, or maybe some soup. Or if you're making a dish that has a grain like rice or quinoa or pasta, you're bulking it up with more veggies to get a bigger portion while keeping your carbohydrate intake and everything else in check. Let me give you another example. Say you eat a breakfast that has two slices of toast with butter and two scrambled eggs. So you have the protein in there. Say your toast has some fiber. Great. You're doing fine. However, if you're still hungry at the end of a meal like that, you can definitely volumize it. You can make some tweaks to make it a little bit more satiety producing, a little bit more filling. So an example would be, instead of just having two scrambled eggs, you add onions, peppers, and spinach to your eggs. So now we've stretched out the volume of those eggs. They're going to be more filling, not to mention you're adding more fiber and nutrients to your day. And instead of your two pieces of toast, maybe you do one piece of toast and then a Greek yogurt with a cup of berries. Calorie-wise and nutrition-wise, you're the same. You're actually keeping it equivalent, if not making it a little bit better, but you get to eat more food, right? What's more satisfying, one piece of toast with butter or a whole cup of yogurt with another cup of raspberries, right? So the yogurt is going to be more filling for you. It's going to give you more protein, but also for our intents and purposes, it's a bigger volume food. So this concept of volumetrics does take practice. I teach it in all my programs. My clients love it. It works like a charm. And it's something that's really, really important to hone in. Because again, especially if you're someone who struggles with excessive hunger and not feeling satisfied after your meals, this could be a game changer. All right, let's move on to talking about another important component of PCOS weight loss and how to make it simple, and that is meal timing. We need to work with our bodies here and not against them. And what this means is that you're thinking about the timing of your meals a little bit more strategically, and you're considering specifically your circadian rhythm. I've spoken about this plenty in the past as well. So none of these concepts are new, but I want you to ask yourself, are you doing them? Are you paying attention to these things? If nothing seems to be working for you, this is where you need to pay attention and practice and focus and make some effort to really dial in these areas. So meal timing is another important one. And here's the thing. We know that our body is most metabolically active in the morning. There is no doubt about it. Your hormones are most active. Your body is primed and ready to receive food when there's daylight outside. As the day goes on and it gets darker, things start to wind down. And so we want to time our meals and the majority of our food to be within the time that it's daylight and when our body's active, when our hormones are active, because if I'm going to eat a meal... 
I want my insulin to work the best it can work. And I don't want any of that food to get stored away because my systems are not active. And that's what happens at night. During the nighttime, your body is slowing things down. Digestion slows down. The burning of calories is kind of slowed down. We know from studies that when people eat the same amount of food, but the timing is different, those people who eat that food later in the day tend to put on more weight, have higher cholesterol levels, have worsened insulin resistance. And with PCOS specifically, what we know is that when women eat bigger meals earlier in the day, they ovulate more, they lose weight more easily, and they have better hormonal profiles overall. And so we want to take advantage of this, and it's not that hard to do. Now, in modern society where everyone's rushing out the door in the morning and we get home at night and that's when we eat our biggest meal, it has become a little bit contradictory to how our body works, right? It's the opposite of what we want to be doing. So what I always recommend that my clients do is make your breakfast and lunch bigger than they are now. Try to taper off the amount of food that you eat late at night and certainly make it so that when you eat dinner, you're done for the evening and you do so on the earlier side of the evening. So Usually a window of about 10 to 12 hours of eating when you start early in the morning, maybe at 7 or 8 a.m., and you wrap up eating by 6 or 7 p.m., that works really well for your hormones, and that's going to help you with weight loss, not to mention you're going to experience less digestive issues, and you're going to have a lot easier of a time falling asleep and staying asleep. When you eat really large meals, high-carb, high-fat meals later in the night, and you snack after dinner, your sleep quality is going to be impacted because your body is going to be busy digesting food. You're going to feel uncomfortable. Things are going to stay in your system longer, and that can really reduce the quality of sleep that you have. And so this benefits you on multiple different levels, not just the weight management side of things, but your symptoms overall, your quality of sleep, and your hormones. And so keeping it to a 10 to 12 hour eating window, starting early, tapering off your meals throughout the day, making your lunch and breakfast bigger, meaning having more food. And again, this is where you can add the fiber, add the protein, volumize your meals, make your meals bulkier and bigger. And that, by the way, is also going to help you snack less in the afternoon. And so if you're eating meals that are more satisfying, they produce more satiety for you. Satiety is essentially the feeling of fullness. Your meals should keep you satiated for three to four hours. And if you do that early on in the day, you're going to feel less of a need to have a pick-me-up at 2, 3, or 4 p.m. and continue to snack and graze all throughout the evening. Again, so get on it early, manage your appetite, eat bigger meals, wrap eating up by 6 or 7 p.m. if possible. I know it's not always possible. And by the way, I don't expect you to do all the things that I'm sharing with you today. These are ideas and strategies that have worked really well well for me and my clients over the past 10 years, you take and, and use what you want. You pick and choose and you run with whatever it is that's going to work for your lifestyle and your schedule. But if 10 to 12 hours is not working for you, just try to wrap up eating a little bit earlier than you are right now. If you're not eating dinner until 8.30 at night, maybe you can push it up a half hour, right? Make an effort to make it slightly earlier so that you're not eating big meals and snacks into the nighttime hours. 
So timing of meal, that's a big one. Syncing up your eating with your circadian rhythms. I did a whole episode on this as well. So a lot of these concepts I went deeply into in a separate episode. So you can definitely go check that out. You're going to get a lot more detail on how to do it successfully. And I hope that this is one that you choose to focus on. A lot of people are thinking about it. Maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but you haven't actually implemented it yet. This is a good time to do so. You're going to see amazing results. And the best part is when you start taking action, you see results, you feel motivated, you're much more likely to keep doing it and stay consistent. And over time, you're going to see differences in your weight. You're going to start to feel like things are clicking and there's really no better feeling than that. Okay, the next strategy I want to talk about for simplifying weight loss is planning your day. I've talked about this plenty in the past, and maybe you've heard me talk about 24-hour plans. I want you to know that however planning works for you is the best way, right? Whatever you do that's working for you is what you should continue to do. If you're not planning your day right now, you got to start doing it because you cannot lose weight and manage your health flying by the seat of your pants, right? It is going to be really hard to make changes that are meaningful and effective and sustainable if you don't have a rhyme or reason as to how you're doing it. Being organized is really going to help you be more consistent. And so, yeah, yeah, we all hear about planning. We know we got to do it, but no one ever does you got to start doing it. You're going to see that it's very much a process of learning your own patterns, getting aware of what you're doing that's not working so that you can start changing it. But if you have no idea what your plan is, what you're doing, you're not taking the time to be organized and put your plan of action onto a piece of paper or your phone or wherever it is that you plan, it's never going to happen. Okay. So when things live in our head and we have the best intentions, it's not enough intentions are not enough to make changes. And so this may feel like a little bit of a chore for a little while, but it's very eye-opening. It creates accountability and planning really gives you the focus that you need to follow an action plan. Okay. So my favorite type of a plan is a 24 hour plan where you write down the breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks that you're going to have just for the next day, the next 24 hours. So we're keeping it really close, really short term. We're not looking too far ahead. We just want to get through the next 24 hours and I'm making a plan. I'm writing things down and I try to stick with it as best I can. The best part about it is that I get to make a new plan tomorrow and I get to make another plan after that. And so I take it day by day. And before you know it, if you take three minutes to make a meal plan or a food plan for the next 24 hours every single evening, you're going to start getting in a groove and you're going to start getting in a routine that actually propels you forward. And so writing things down, make sure that you're staying very mindful of the food choices that you make. And of course, you want to consider what you have at home and what's realistic for you to eat, right? If you have a day of back-to-back meetings, you're not going to prepare three meals that day. And so relying on takeout, relying on something from the freezer, taking help from the store, these are all things that are valid, but you got to plan for them. That's planning too. Saying that you're going to eat a pizza and a salad kit, that's planning too. Okay. We got to get in the habit of being intentional and planned out with our food choices And I think that over time, you're going to start noticing that meal planning and writing down your food is the highest form of self-care. 
And when I say writing down your food, you don't have to track, you don't have to count calories, you don't have to write down the portions, none of that. You're just making a plan for the next 24 hours, writing down what you're going to eat. You're going to feel so good. You're going to feel like you're taking care of you and you're prioritizing your very basic need of eating, right? That's primal. That's a basic need that we all have, but somehow it's at the bottom of the priority list. Somehow no one's taking the time to think about what they're going to eat today until it's too late, until we're already starving and it's an emergency, Let's not get to that situation. Let's be more intentional. Let's make the plan, write it down, put yourself at the top of the priority list. You're going to feel so good. This is simple. Anyone can do it. You just got to find the form of planning that works for you and stick with it. Give it two weeks. I can guarantee you you're going to see results. Now, if you do decide to make a 24-hour plan and try it for two weeks, I want you to send it to me on Instagram. So you can find me at PCOS.nutritionist.daphna and send me your 24-hour plan. I'm going to look it over. I'm going to give you some suggestions. And this is going to be even a higher form of accountability for you. And I'd love to see you do this. Just try it out, okay? Give it two weeks. Anyone can do it. It's super simple. Take a pen and a paper. You don't need anything fancy. Write a 24-hour meal plan for the next day and let's see what happens, right? Don't have any expectations. I know this stuff works, but maybe you're skeptical, but you would never know if you didn't try it, okay? So make the commitment to do it for two weeks. Make a 24-hour plan. Put whatever you want on that plan. Just the form of, just the act, I should say, of planning and thinking about it and being intentional and more mindful of your choices is going to benefit you. I have no doubt about it because you're taking the impulsiveness out of it. You're taking the emergency eating scenario out of it. And so the single act of planning is already going to put you ahead. So try it out. Send me your 24-hour meal plan if you decide to do it, and let's stick with it for two weeks and see what happens. Okay, we're at the home stretch here, and I have one final strategy for you that is going to help you manage weight more easily, and that is eating within your reasonable hunger and fullness cues. And what I mean by this is that you're never getting to the extremes. You're never getting to being famished and ravenous, but you're also never eating to the point that you're feeling stuffed. So you have to find the reasonable hunger and satiety cues and stay within that range. And I want you to envision a scale. So not a scale that you step on, like a scale of zero to 10 with zero being ravenous and 10 being like Thanksgiving stuffed, like very, very full, uncomfortably so. And so we never want to be in the zero or even one range because that means you've gone too far with your hunger. We also never want to eat to the point where we're at a nine or a 10, that we're so full, we're, we're actually uncomfortable and maybe having a little bit of pain or distension, right? So we always want to stay within the kind of like two, three to seven, eight range, two, three being, um, appropriately hungry to eat a meal, seven, eight being I'm comfortably full and I'm no longer hungry, but I'm not stuffed. And for a lot of people, this is going to be new territory because many of us don't know what it actually feels like to eat until we're no longer hungry, but also not overly stuffed and full. Okay. There's a little sweet spot right there in the middle where you're satisfied. You're fine. 
and you're done eating and you're not actually uncomfortable. You haven't overate. And so it's going to take practice to identify that spot. And it's especially hard because we're taught to clean off our plate and there are starving children in Africa and we are constantly snacking, right? And I see my children and other kids, there's always a snack. Like the activity is eating a snack. It doesn't matter if you're full or not. My daughter in fourth grade eats a snack at 10 a.m. Her school only starts at 8.45 and she eats a big breakfast. Like I'm pretty sure that she's not hungry for a snack an hour later, but there's a stop in the day. There's an activity and that's called snack time. Okay. So this is the part of how society is set up right now where eating is an activity and we're just eating regardless of how we feel physically. We're eating more for entertainment a lot of times. And so learning this spot of no longer being hungry and being done with your meal is going to take practice for a lot of people. And while you're doing it, I want you to think about a Japanese phrase, and this is going to sound a little weird. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's a really important concept, and it's called harahachibu. Harahachibu is a Japanese phrase that means stop eating when you're 80% full. And this really allows you to tune into your body, to stop eating when you're satisfied, to stay mindful of how your body feels and how your eating habits are supporting you, and also how food feels in your stomach, okay? So a lot of people don't pause while they're eating to really have a good sensation of how food feels in their stomach. And there are a lot of ways that you can bring that awareness back. So of course, eating more slowly is going to help with that. Minimizing distractions when you're eating. So not multitasking while you're having a meal and then serving your food on smaller plates so that when you're done with your food, you get the chance to check in and see how you're doing and really evaluate whether or not you want to get seconds, right? And so this is rooted in mindfulness and it's a really important concept. And by the way, the area of Japan where this is originating from is an area where people live to be over 100 and they have a very low rate of chronic diseases. This is one of the blue zones. If you've ever heard of blue zones, it's an area where there are centenarians, people who live to be 100. They have very low incidence of diseases and they're the happiest people on earth, believe it or not. And so these people know what they're doing, right? They got it figured out. And one of the concepts that they live by is this harahachibu, eating until you're 80% full and really practicing mindfulness throughout your meals, not multitasking, not being distracted by Instagram while you're eating, eating slowly, chewing your food, putting your fork down between bites, and of course, serving smaller portions so that you can pace yourself and you can really get in touch with your body and see how food feels in your stomach before going for seconds. And of course, this concept of mindfulness ties back to hormones, because if you're more connected with your body, if you're paying attention, if you're actually mindful of how you eat and what you eat and the environment that you eat in, you're going to feel less stress and anxiety around food. Your body's going to digest and process your food a lot better, right? So even with something like insulin resistance, we know that stress is something that can worsen it. With inflammation, stress can worsen inflammation. And so all of these things are interconnected. Okay, so I hope that some of the tips that I shared with you today are going to give you a direction. 
as to how to approach weight management in a more positive way. You do not have to do all of them. Like I said, you can pick and choose and stay consistent with a small handful of some of these things. Maybe the things that you think are going to make the biggest impact for you. And I do have a bonus tip for you, and it's all about mindset. I think that in order to be successful in managing weight with PCOS, we not only need these strategies and these food tips and all of that good stuff, but we also need a certain mindset. And because PCOS weight loss is so dependent on hormone balance, we really need to be patient because hormone balance takes time, right? Balancing your insulin levels, reducing inflammation, those are things that are going to take time. And so we have to change our mindset from what I call microwave mentality to crockpot mentality, right? A slow cooker mentality. And so if you've been on many diets in the past, you've probably been brainwashed to have this microwave mentality where you do this for 30 days and you lose the weight or you eat this type of food or do that type of cleanse and your problems go away. We know that's not true, right? We know that that's not how things work, especially when you have a condition like PCOS. So changing from this microwave mentality where obviously you put something into the microwave, it's done in 30 seconds, it's instant results. That's not what we want to go for. We want to go for slow cooker mentality, right? We want to go low and slow. We want to be consistent with a small variety of habits, but do them really well and do them every single day. That's going to give you longevity. That's going to give you sustainable habits that you can practice 20 years from now and they still work, right? So slow and steady. It does take time. I want you to remember that healthy weight loss doesn't have to feel punitive. It doesn't have to feel like you're constantly punishing your body or pushing yourself to extremes. It should feel great. And going low and slow is gonna help you get there because whenever you do something that's like balls to the wall, going all out, that's not gonna feel good. That's gonna feel really hard to sustain. That's gonna feel like you're in some sort of a, a boot camp or a challenge, right? We don't need to challenge ourselves. We need to feel good. We wanna pursue health. If we lose weight in the process of doing so, that's amazing and you absolutely can do that. But in order to get lasting results, you have to develop the positive habits. You have to do things that you want to keep doing, not things that you can't wait to be done with. When you go on a diet and you have this microwave mentality, you're restricting foods, you're doing all the things in order to get the instant results, it's a one and done right? You crash and burn really quickly and you actually can't wait for it to be over, right? If you've ever been on a diet, you know that. And I know I've been on many diets in the past. You cannot wait for this thing to be done already because it's so hard to do. It doesn't feel good. You feel restricted. Maybe you're feeling hungry. You can't eat out. You're constantly thinking about food. You're obsessing because there are so many rules to keep up with. And at the end of the day, it's a negative experience. That's not what we want. Managing your weight could be something that happens naturally without you thinking about it too much when you put the right plan in place, when you have the right support, when you're doing things from a longevity mindset. You're not rushing the process. You're trusting the process. You know it's going to happen and you have patience. You got to come into this process with a lot of patience, a lot of self-compassion and a little pinch of positivity before seeing results. You gotta believe that the results are coming and be positive and love the process right now 
not just when you lose 30 pounds. That's easy. It's easy to love the process when you've lost 30 pounds. I need you to be positive and believe in it now so that you can stay consistent and motivated and not burn out. It's easier said than done. I know that, but this is why I offer programs and I offer coaching and support so that you can get guidance throughout the way and not burn out, not crash and burn and not have it be another diet that you cycle through over and over and over again. So I wanted to record this episode to show you some of the strategies that I teach in depth inside my programs. Many of them are going to be covered in the workshop that I'm doing in a few days. And so I hope to see you there so you can master your meals, really put a solid food plan in place to reverse insulin resistance, to lose weight, to get your period back, to reduce cravings, to gain more energy. Amazing things can happen when you actually eat in a way that's strategic and designed for PCOS and balances your hormones, which is really the most important thing. And so the other things we talked about today are also helpful. I have many different episodes going deeply into circadian rhythms, how to reverse insulin resistance without cutting out carbs, how to change your mindset. I did an episode on five diet mantras to ditch. This goes deeply into the mindset that is required for success. And so definitely go check those episodes out. I think you're going to get value out of them. And I can't wait to hear what you thought about this episode. If you liked it, please leave me a positive rating and a review, a written review. It really helps me a lot. I would really thoroughly appreciate it. And of course, if we're not yet connected on Instagram, come over there, follow me. I'm at pcos.nutritionist.daphna. Send me a message about today's episode or a question about the workshop or anything else that I mentioned. And I'd love to chat with you there. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.